Suddenly, the wheels are in motion, and I. Do you remember that song? I have no idea what you're singing. Xanadu, man. You don't know Xanadu? Xanadu. You know, I know that it was a movie and that they made it into a musical, and usually I'm not down with that, so it's not a wonder. (laughs) You're missing out. You're missing. You're missing out. It's quality. I promise you. For those of you that are joining us for the first time, welcome to Icon or Wycon, the show where we break down our favorite film universes to see which stand the test of time. I'm here with my hetero life mate, CJ LaRoche. CJ, how you feel? I feel like the most luckiest hetero life mate on earth that I get to share this time with you, Andrew. Oh my goodness, why thank you. That just warms my heart to hear it. And I feel like we're all in a state where we need some good old fashioned heart warming. We sure do. It's getting cold out here, bitch. <laughs> so today's a big day for us. Today's a very, very special day. We have a very, very important film to discuss, a very important universe we are embarking on. Yeah, this is the universe that uh, established the universes, right? This is the very first universe, and this is the universe that we are going to stick within the framework of the nine films of the universe However, once in a while, I feel like I'm just going to drop my knowledge of Tales from a Mos Eisley Cantina issue number 17, because in that lies the history and the actual plot of the universe. But we're going to talk about the nine films in the universe and not rely on your knowledge of the extended, excuse me, the extended canon. We're getting a little bit of... We're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves because we have not even announced the universe that we're doing yet. Oh, well, here we are. I mean, it's, I, it, the life is in, in, in life, it's important to be consistent, and I'm constantly getting ahead of ourselves. So I apologize. Let's take it back. Let's take it back. Let's take it back. All right. We're going to be talking about Star Wars, and specifically to support you in this moment, CJ, just the Skywalker saga, the initial nine films we're going to be discussing these films in release order release order not jumping around right so and this is a question are we taking the films from hey i just saw this great movie or do we know what's coming after here is the thing let's take the films as we're taking them in for the first time okay pretending that we don't have the baggage that we do have of knowing the end of the saga at this point. Okay. But I will say there will come a point where we do gently delve into the plot holes that we know are coming. Okay. I'm ready. Fantastic. I'm caught up. I love it. A new hope, man. Let's go. Oh my gosh. So here's the thing that title crawl right off the bat. It's as good as it gets, man. And it's inspired by, you know, Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon. We're talking about a young filmmaker here in the 70s who has all kinds of inspirations. He's throwing Easter eggs at you before Easter eggs were Easter eggs, man. He's like, I'm going to just take everything that I know and I'm going to throw it up on the screen. I'm going to have my buddy Brian and Steven watch it. And they're going to tell me that it's shit. Or no, excuse me. They're gonna, I'm going to worry that they're going to tell me that it's shit and then it's going to blow up. And it's fucking Star Wars. And it's just Star Wars at this point, man. It's yeah, not a new hope. It's not right? a new hope. Like, it's Star Wars. 
It's just Star Wars. He had ideas for before and after this moment in the story, but he made this without any intention of being able to continue it, which I think is what makes this particular film so beautiful and so simple. He was just gonna make something good and he was doing Tarantino before Tarantino was Tarantino. Do you know what I mean? Right. With this like right. remix filmmaking of things that he's inspired by, things that he's seen, things that he loves, things that he knows will evoke certain feelings in you. And one of the things I love the most on this rewatch is that it's clean and it's tight. And a lot of the baggage that we have about these films is pretty much ours. Like the film itself, this first one, it's actually pretty straightforward. It's a 70s space opera. It's exactly what it says on the tin. And it's fantasy, Andrew. It's not science fiction. No, it's, it's definitely fantasy. fantasy. And it is very cool. And here's another thing that I love about the this film is the characters are definitely definitely attached to your standard hero's journey. You know what I mean? They do all of the things that you come to expect from any young hero rising up. I mean, it's Hercules. It's parts of Superman. It's like, it's everything's familiar. King and Arthur. It's King Arthur. It's familiar and brand new at the same time. It's super toyetic, super accessible to children. Right, which was his plan. Yeah. Which was his plan. It's how, it's how he got most of the thing finances he said you know you, you, uh, you just let me have the toy rights and i'll make the movie yeah and it's it's awesome for for what it is what's funny is, i think it's awesome i think it's awesome period it is it's really think, good I don't, there's a, I don't think there's a for what it is that's necessary man the sound design the music by the greatest john williams you know and, and even he's borrowing shit man he's borrowing shit from wagner that jedi that Jedi tune, uh, nah, 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 when he's looking at the twin sons, that's Wagner. Oh yeah, he and straight up stole the opening, the opening number. Like if you listen, there's I can't even remember, but there's a classical music piece that's basically Star Wars Redux that he took. And he doesn't care. Well, fun fact. Apparently, George Lucas created a playlist for him and said, Oh, this is where it's at for me. This is what my characters sound like. And John Williams, ever ready to take the note, was like, yeah, they do. Let's do it. And so it's funny, uh, in the spirit of getting ahead of ourselves, one thing I noticed about this movie is that while the score is beautiful and very present and very memorable, and as a character of itself, in and of itself, is iconic, it's not as thoroughly scored as the later movies. The later, no. movies, the later movies get more scoring because we've come to expect a certain level of scoring, but it's yep. really not present in the first movie. First movie's no. kind of scored like a regular movie. Absolutely, but it's it's the first movie of this of this type that scored in that way. Oh like yeah, this changed. You know, this changed so many things. This movie changed so many things about the film industry. The way the, the way films are shot, the way films are scored, the the sound design, and how important it is. You know, and it it's just wonderful. It's really really great. We got to talk about David Prowse. Oh, the poor man. Dave, have you the seen that man. documentary? I have. I have. Oh my gosh. It's like he was he was the 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 greatest villain of all time and and then he was a body double. Yeah. 
you know, and there's a way to make a living as a body double. JD, I'm talking to you, pal. I get it, man. You're making that cheddar out there being a body double, but like you weren't, you know, you weren't Darth Vader and then, and then you weren't Darth Vader. Like yeah. that's gotta be, that's gut-wrenching. Yeah. That's a hard thing. Uh, knowing that walking into the three watch with that baggage and seeing that scene where he bursts into frame the, for the first time devours the screen it's a yeah. very threatening first look menacing is is the is the perfect word for it because it he you're absolutely right the screen is white and here comes this dark figure he's caped he's masked and you know uh, you're six years old and you're like holy fuck who is that Darth fucking Vader, man. And he's got 11 minutes of screen time in this film, 12 minutes. He's not in the movie at all. No. But he's the star of the show. He's insanely memorable. He really he really comes to fruition in Empire. That's when we really get your quality Vader. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we talked about it, you know, a little bit before in the newest universe, but when Lawrence Kasdan figured out, like, what the story was, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Then, then they knew what to do with them. One of the things that drove me crazy about this film, though, is that... Uh, the convenience kind of figures heavy-handedly. And I didn't realize how convenient things are in this film. Mm, talk to me, talk to me. All right, so R2-D2, C-3PO, they've got their dysfunctional-ass relationship, right? Yes. They crash on Tatooine. Right. They go in opposite directions. Yes. How do they end up in the same transport? The Force. I don't know, man. Is that what we're going to do? Is that what we're going to do? Is that what we do? We just, We just, like... That's, That's what I answer? have to do. Andrew, it's the force. Okay. The, the force. It's it's real to dialogue track two. Did you know that? That's why R2-D2 is called that. No. Because the sound designers on American Graffiti were constantly asking for real to dialogue track two, get me R2-D2. So that's how he did it. Also, we've got, we've got the first half an hour of this movie is dedicated to two non-human characters hat tip to new rock stars for pointing this out to me uh it's they're based on kurosawa's sidekicks yeah in a in a movie called hidden fortress yeah they're the peasants they're the peasants yeah right and so they they lead us off and they're the most important figures in the universe and the fact that they go in different directions and end up on the same transport is the will of the force okay so we're going to will of the force them back to the same transport. We have to will of the force them back to the same transport, Andrew, because carrying inside R2-D2 is the most important Snapchat of all time. <laughs> Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. The only hope for getting that message to Obi-Wan Kenobi is through Luke Skywalker, because he's the only motherfucker on the planet that knows him. Great. So it is will of the force that Uncle Owen happens to pick 3PO. He has to pick 3PO because, first of all, there's nobody else on that school that's Harvard-educated, right, on that yeah. transport. So he, 3PO's, the, 3PO's the choice, okay. right? Now, Red Guy getting selected next, he blows up, right? That's just a coincidence. That's like, just that's, a coincidence. That's just an accident. It's fine. I don't think the force was at play there. I think that that just happened. Do you know what's funny? When I was a child... When I was a child. Are you about to launch into Meadowlark? 
I think that's where I was going. Yeah. Yeah, it was in my head. We're about to launch into Meadowlark. That's going to take up eight minutes of runtime, and we're already trying to keep these episodes tighter, so I can't let launch into Meadowlark. But I appreciate what we're doing. We're taking that away from our listenership. I know. We'll do a mini episode. We'll do a bonus episode. Do it when we do the Star Wars Christmas special, holiday special. Sorry. Yes. Promise me. Promise me. I'll get, Fantastic. I'll, get, I'll get the song ready. I'll make the piano track for you. All right. All right. Okay. So them winding up on the same transport, Will of the Force. Red guy blowing up, not Will of the Force. Owen picking 3PO had to happen. Harvard educated. Harvard educated had to happen. All right. Okay. Okay. I see this take. I'm vibing with this take. I'll tell you this, that when I was a child, I insisted that I saw a projectile coming out of R2-D2 to blow up the red guy. Wow. And you I think R2-D2 shot some like Mandalorian darts over at red guy. Do you know what's funny? It was not until the rewatch today uh-huh. that I didn't see that happen. I have emotionally filled in that plot hole. Wow. My entire life. You did it for the universe, for the fans. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because that, that convenience bothers me. And then I was just like, oh, yeah, wait, let me see. It's such, it's a tiny little dart. I remember I remembered it so vividly, and then I watched it, and it was there. Total Mandela effect. Made it up. You did. Yeah, it yeah. was like Sinbad's genie movie. Didn't happen. <laughs> Speaking of Latifah. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay, so but 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 fine. Like regardless of, of why or how, now we're here, and Luke's got control of the droids, and he's got to clean them up. Yeah, the oil bath, great scene. Love it, love it, love how love how dirty everything is. That's another thing George did was just he wanted like future, dirty future or something like that. He just wanted he wanted it to be like lived in. Yeah, you know? no, even though it was a long time ago, he just he loved that that aesthetic, and I think it just works so well, especially in the Millennium Falcon. The dirt, the grime, the you know the the greasiness versus the Empire, who are like nice and clean. Oh, absolutely spotless. Yeah. Oh, uh, I love that it's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away that we're looking for the past of a distant future. I love yes. that conceit of storytelling. I think it's so special, and it just sets you up to understand that you're watching a fairy tale. It's total fantasy. It's no question. It's, it's a space western opera. Yeah, with like uh, samurai influences. Yeah. Oh, it's just, it's, it's absolutely nuts. No. So, okay. So some conveniences we're going to, we're willing to give to the force yep. and some are just accidental. All yep. right. Where in those two piles do we place Ben scream when he chases away the sand people? Because that okay, thing. Which, which version are we talking about? Like the original uh, we're talking about the special edition, or are we talking about when George like completely lost his mind in 2011? Listen, I'm talking about the newest one. That's the one I watched today. Yeah, so that's that's just bad filmmaking. <laughs> it's just bad tinkering. It sounds like an old man going, like it's so yeah. weird. No, it's an old man with like on a lot of ecstasy in the middle of the <laughs> club, screaming out loud, you know, because like he's just realized what glow sticks actually are. Right, he's maybe he's drank some of the glow stick juice. I don't know, but the, it's bad. The, but the, the the original version of that is very simple. It's a crate monster. Yeah, you know that's that big long skeleton that you see in the desert with three PO. Like that's that's supposed to be the noise of that scaring away the Tuscan Raiders. There's a lot of 
why did he change that? And we can actually do a whole episode on why he changed things and pondering that because that's just one of those things. I heard that today. I was like, yikes, man, that's weird. That doesn't make yeah. any sense. Then he put the rock in front of R2-D2 and like, how the fuck is he going to get around that? Yeah. Since we're on the topic, how did he, how did he get in there? How did he get in there? He how doesn't he have arms. In? Like, how did that did, even happen? Did he come through the back? No clue. You know, what's going on? It's so weird. Speaking of these other random changes, I'm not a fan of, of the simultaneous shooting between Han and Greedo. I mean, that is... It looks terrible. That's one of the worst mistakes in the history of Western civilization. You are ILM, and it looks like that. That's the best you could do. Right, so not only is it a bad, bad choice, but you're, you also did it really crappily. It looks tacky. It looks really but, tacky. Yeah. Yeah. And like Han shot him because Greedo was about to like take him either to be killed by Jabba or he's going to shoot him right there. Yeah. So there's your reasoning, man. Like, and, and, and also he changed it, right? Because he wanted it to be more family friendly. What about fucking Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru? Like charred remains. Charred. You didn't yeah. take that out. You didn't change that. You didn't change the bloody arm in the cantina. Right. And that's the only, I think that's the only lightsaber injury that doesn't cauterize immediately. Yeah, that's the first time you see the lightsaber causing bleeding. Yeah. Weird stuff. Uh, also, in the spirit of... The, it's it's this chunk that got tinkered with heavily, and I'm wondering if he's responding to, like, as pace expectations change. Mm. He's realizing that the, it does slow down for a minute, because you think the first 30 minutes are really with secondary characters, and then you meet your hero relatively late. You yeah. meet his... Um, his wizard guardian, essentially. Yeah. It's essentially his, his fairy, yeah. yeah, his fairy godmother. You meet that character, and then you're meeting the pilot, and then you're like meeting people and meeting places. There's a lot of exposition late in Act One. Yeah, yeah, and you know it could have been even worse, right? Because there's all those scenes in the beginning that he cut with like Luke at the moisture farm, looking up, seeing the battle of. Uh, the then unnamed Tantive Four and Vader's destroyer. Uh, he meets Biggs. Like he actually goes to Tashi Station. Like there's and, actually and he, scene work with Biggs. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it it could have been even worse. Um, but yeah, no. I think I think that's a that's a salient point you make. Salient. I'll take my quarters. You can Venmo me at Richard Dash Laroche. Uh, that you make because it really does kind of feel like he was like, Ooh, this is kind of a problematic point in this film. So let me, you know, throw like a big giant fucking worm ass walking across the screen. Yeah. Like he, he kept tinkering with it and kept doing stuff. And then it leads to this like weird Han Greedo moment that he can't make up his mind about. And then the additional Jabba scene that he did do the principal photography of. Yeah. Yeah. When, when, a- when Jabba was to be played by a man. That's right. And and Han walks behind him. Yeah. In the, the original shooting in 76 or whatever it was. Uh, yeah. But but we get a Boba Fett. We get a Boba Fett. And the fans love Boba. Fans do love Boba, but these are all things that he put in for us later. You know, it's yeah. not part of the original movie. And no. honestly, the inclusion of that scene does disrupt the pace. Big time. Oh, yeah. Because I need them... Cut- then we cut right to the the weird nose guy with them talking to the stormtrooper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I just really need them to get on the ship because honestly, the movie, for me, 
doesn't pop off. It's all enjoyable top to bottom. And it's a tight two hours. It doesn't feel like it's two hours. It's a tight two hours, but the movie pops off after the destruction of Alderaan. Yes. That's... Yes. Yeah. Once we leave, once we leave most Eisley, once we, now we're like exclusively in space. Right. Yeah. Yeah. About an hour in and that's, Mm -hmm. but when they're aboard the Death Star is, it's everything you remember. I noticed that that's the part I remember vividly. Oh yeah. Everything else I have an understanding of how the movie works, but that entire sequence Obi-Wan um, disabling the tractor beam, the, tr- the trash compactor sequence. Trash compactor. Did you notice the trash compactor door? What did I miss? It's the door that they break into Leia's ship on. Same door? They fucking painted it rust and threw it in the trash compactor. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. That's so good. I never noticed that. I have a question for you, sir, because you know I'm this extended literature. I'm ready to answer. Let's talk about the Dianoga. What is that? That is the trash monster. Oh, yes. Okay. All right. So here we go. The Dianoga lives in the trash compactor. Lives in the trash compactor. Yes. And through some really, as Bill Simmons would call, half-assed internet research... I was able to discover uh-huh. that his backstory is that that is an animal that can turn waste into useful minerals. Yes. So, of course, it makes sense that he would be in this trash compactor on the Death Star. Yep. How does he survive being compacted? Because, tra- because the trash gets compacted. Yeah, you know, there's got to be some kind of hole in those, like some grates or something, maybe. Yeah, you know? there's it's because then the trash juice then the falls trash through. seeps through. Yeah, so it's weird. It's it's one of those yeah. things that I was just like, what's the name of that? Because I wanted to come here today and talk to you like an educated man, yeah. and I was like, what's the name <laughs> of that? And so I went down a little hole, and then I'm just like, all right. So they have created this backstory for this character that makes that justifies why he's in trash, but they didn't justify how he survives the trash compacting that is so threatening to our other life forms that are in there. Yeah. Now I'm going to say that uh, starwars.com says that she, she, her name is Omi. Her she, name is Omi. Yeah. She once killed a couple of stormtroopers and was eventually moved from her enclosed space into the trash compactor uh, where she memorized the routine of the closing walls and found a safe place to hide. So there is an answer. There's an answer. <laughs> Man, they really. There's an answer. I got to your favorite f- geek found it. Fantastic. You know what? But And I'll give it to the Star Wars universe because for every plot hole that I find that annoys me, they really do put in some overtime to plug it up. Figure it out. Yeah. Figure it out. Uh, so you brought up before uh, the influence of samurai films. Yes. And uh, that is evident in the lightsaber. You know, I have to be honest, I forgot how bad that lightsaber choreo was. It's not bad choreo, Anakin. Oops. Excuse me. Excuse me. Darth Vader and Obi-Wan Kenobi 
not just Ben Kenobi. Yeah. They know each other. They fought before. They're using the force. There's no way, there's no point in getting all crazy because you have to be deliberate. There can, you know, you can't move fast because the other one knows what you're going to do before you do it. So you have to be real tight, concentrated, focused, and little. Okay. Okay. I buy that take, but why does he sacrifice himself? Because, wait, now, okay, this is an issue that we're going to run into in this thing, because I know why he sacrifices himself, but it, it's explained later. Talk to me about it. Okay. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. He definitely says that. He is becoming one with the force. He can only save the rebellion and save Luke and save the galaxy by being a force ghost and helping Luke in that way. Luke has to see, just like when he saw Uncle Owen and Aunt Brewie, that violence needs to propel the hero into action, Joseph mm -hmm. Campbell. Luke needs his mentor to die. Yes. He needs to be robbed of his mentor in order to achieve and fulfill his potential. So Obi-Wan, through the force teachings of Yoda, who we don't know yet, and Qui-Gon Jinn, who we'll meet much later, explained that to Ben Kenobi. Why in 1976 he sacrificed himself? I think it's, it's the influence of Joseph Campbell. Because it has to, because that's the next part of the journey. The hero needs to be propelled into further action. The first violent act to propel him to action is Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. I keep saying Beru. It's Beru, right? It's not Veru. No, it's Beru. Beru. Yeah, and Beru. They get charred, and he's going to leave home and go, you know, learn the ways of the Force and become a Jedi like his father. When he loses his mentor, that's his next step on the journey. I get it. I get it. One thing I did love... And knowing what I know about what happens in the future and everything, I did love the scene of Vader putting his boot in Obi-Wan's robe and yep. being, being surprised that he evaporated. Yeah, where'd he go? Yeah, because at what this point... Is this? What is this dark magic? Yeah, he's so cut off from the light side of the Force yep. that he's not understanding what he's just done. And I yep. love that detail, and I love that he... Not knowing he would make a sequel, but he built that moment of curiosity in to yeah. explore. And then he does. Like, that continues to get explored. The relationship with the Force, your understanding of the light side versus the dark side, your inability to see the other side if you're too committed to one. That's you right. know, it's something That's that right. gets explored in all nine films. And I, it was nice to see that the seed of it is in that one little shot that he made sure was included. Absolutely. In the first, the very first movie. I think that's super cool. So good. Did you ever notice that uh, John Dodonna calls her Princess Leah? <laughs> Princess Leah? Yes. Yeah. He totally does. He says Leah. Nobody, no, no correction. And later in the celebration, after we eventually blow up the Death Star, Mark Hamill calls Leia Carey. He totally calls, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what's funny, though? I understand that because if you look at their faces, the three of them are so jazzed about what they've accomplished. Yeah. And they're so happy. And I loved that Leia 
wedges herself in between the two of them. Like he's he built Easter eggs for himself. He's like, if we get to explore this, it's right. gonna we're gonna do a love triangle thing. I'm setting this up right here. Yeah, with this unbridled joy of this, the triumph of the little guy, Daniel has beaten Goliath. Yeah. And yeah, no, totally. It's such and a her, it's such a wonderful moment. And her instinct is to be in the middle. Yes. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Come, come on. How did you feel when Han came back with the Millennium Falcon and saved Luke? Is that it's why like, is that still so satisfying? It's so fucking good. It's like I it's like I forget that he's coming every time. I was nervous and then I was like, "Oh, thank goodness Han came." I was I was so surprised. And I've seen this movie so many times. Blow this thing and go home. <sighs> I mean, title your sex tape. <laughs> It's so, so good. I yeah. really loved it. One thing that really stood out to me too, speaking of the Death Star Strike, since we're here, uh, yeah. not a lot of music under the Death Star Strike. No. It's no, pretty quiet. Perfectly scored. Perfectly yeah. scored. It's pretty, he really lets us just hear like the air and the lasers for a long time. Yeah. And then no, when this trench run, this trench run sequence, man, obviously, you know, heavily inspired by the old World War II movies. It's some of his finest filmmaking. It's beautiful. Also, thinking about the technology they had and the fact that he was so committed to getting the shot of the camera flying through the trench. Like, yeah. we got that whole shot. That's a beautifully composed shot. Oh. People, people struggle to compose shots like that with all of the technology at their disposal that they have right now. Right, and he was doing it with Legos, man. Yeah, no, it was amazing. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but there was one interview uh, when they asked him about the sequel trilogy. And uh, he just did say that there's a lot of stuff that he did in it, and he loves the homage aspect of it. But at the same time, in his films, he made sure that they showed you something new every time. Every and, time. And to his credit, this movie has a lot of things we had never seen before. Uh -huh. And it captured a generation. Like, its box office was through the roof. Through the roof. Record-breaking, and it was earth-shattering lines lines to get in to see it people were re-watching it it was a very early rewatch. yeah like and the very some of the very first cosplay if i'm not mistaken oh yeah it was like, it was huge it made such a uh, it made such a mark culturally cultural and, impact and you have to think about this so i uh side story for myself i had a lot of problems with my teeth right and so i was always getting oral surgery and they would remove like six teeth at a time and then do some procedure and do something. So there was a period of my life where every couple months I was coming home and I was legit just like laid up, waking up from all of the anesthesia and Novocaine, you know? Oh my, my God, this my is face terrible. Swollen. And so I was, I was young, I was like seven. I, I was getting work done from like seven to about 13. Now I and, see where your resilience comes from. <laughs> But uh, it's the reason that I love movies because my mom would sit me down and all we had was her VHS collection. And wow. I, was, I was seven, so I didn't have a VHS collection. So you know, she started me on the Star Wars trilogy. Your mom did it, man. She, she really did it. it. And, and like from there we went into, I mean, she loved Spielberg. So there was a lot, there's um, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, that whole Indiana Jones trilogy. Like, and this is why I love films. It's why I'm obsessed with long form universes, like from that moment. And so I still remember that as a child. And that was 
13 plus years after its initial release, that moment, that first moment that I had with it was about 13 years after the initial release. And so if you think that, it's still fixed. That first moment I saw this movie is so fixed in my mind. And then I've seen six more movies be released from that point. And I understand now that everyone in the world knows what C-3PO and R2-D2 look like. Everyone in the world knows what a lightsaber is. Like, can you imagine being that, that you created that? And it all started with this first film that does not have a lot of lightsaber, does not have a lot of sci-fi talk, does not have a lot of force speech. It, it, it is one giant MacGuffin of hope for another, for a continuation, essentially. Yeah. I think that's so neat about it. It's so great. And it's all explained with Luke and Ben sitting in the hut. Mm. When, when Ben just tells him about his father, tells him about the Force, tells him about how his daddy was the greatest star pilot in the galaxy, how him and the other Jedi were hunted down by a young Jedi named Darth Vader, and there he is. He's putting this shit on, onto the page, right? He's also putting like Mace Windy and a Bendu and all these things that, you know, come up later. But he was able to get through all of that shit and craft this beautiful, perfect hero's journey that was that eventually became this fucking incredible masterpiece. This, this movie's a masterpiece. It's so good. You know, and it's like when we watch Darth Vader come in and just fucking lay waste to all those Y-wing bombers, and then he kills Biggs, and there's one fucking X-wing left, and it's Luke. The Force is strong with this one, and here comes Han. You know, it's just it's just so beautifully crafted and beautifully executed. You're wondering how this man would eventually make Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. And I think at the end, when we get to the end of this trilogy, we're going to have to take a minute to talk about what this film did to his career. Because mm. this film is made by an up-and-comer. Do you know what I mean? Sure. And then, And as with the success of this film, his career transitions into I make Star Wars movies. Right. You know? And it's, it's a hard transition, and he leans into it. But uh, it would have been nice to see what came next from this, because this is the coalescence of an up and comer with a little bit of money to throw at something and some support from toy companies. Like, and uh, it's, it's the late seventies. So uh, the director auteur moment is very popular. They're all trying to find the next big thing. Right. Right. I think it's so cool. I think it's so interesting. Um, When we get to the medal ceremony at the end of the film, come on now. Yeah, and, 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 you know, of course, the reason Chewie didn't get a medal was explained in a comic, and I have the answer, if anyone wants to tweet at me, at the CJ LaRoche, I'll give you that answer. Um, it's not a good one. It's not a good explanation, but it is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> and even despite that explanation, they felt the need to make sure he gets a medal at the end of Rise of Skywalker. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Getting ahead of ourselves once again. I feel like maybe we should take a break. I think it's about time for a break. We here at Icon or Wycon love to talk to each other. But even more than that, Andrew and I would love to hear from you. Take a minute to subscribe to us on all of your favorite podcast apps. 
favorites, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music. I know, Amazon Music. We just made the cut. And don't be afraid to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Icon or Ycon. At Icon or Ycon. Put it on Reddit. Back to the show. So this is a point in the show where we want to talk about our ephemeral questions, if you will. Can we call them that? Ephemeral questions with Andrew and CJ. It's got a theme. I just made it up. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I love that. That's a thing. You just did it. It's a thing. Ephemeral question number one. CJ, what worked about this movie for you? I think what worked about for me, and again, it's, it's, it's old hat. It's the sound of this universe. It's the way that a gentleman named Ben Burt figured out what the galaxy far, far away sounds like. The sound of the TIE fighters, the sound of the lightsabers, the sound of the blasters, you know, it's all homemade shit, man. The sound of a Wookiee, right? The Wookiee that was inspired by George Lucas's dog named Indiana. Whoa. Uh, but that's like a bear, a lion, a walrus, you know, uh, the, the, the fucking blaster sound is like him hitting a steel cable with uh, like a piece of metal, the lightsaber. It, it's, it's all just so fucking creative and wonderful. And the, you know, the music, every, this, just the way that the Star Wars film, number one, episode four, New Hope, sounds is what really, really fucking works for me. That's awesome. So mine was the use of color in the storytelling. Yes. I, I did not recall how deliberate it was. Space Nazis versus the common man. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. So deliberate. Common man lives in the desert. Space Nazis live in their sparkly clean away from sand space station. You know, yeah. they're, they're, covered in these flowy white and light garbs. They're wearing your dark colors and your blacks and your reds. Monochromatic. Oh, yeah. it's, it's so cool. And, and everywhere else in the world is vibrant. Yep. You know, literally anywhere else you go, even the chess pieces when he's playing chess, the three-dimensional chess, like yes. those little Holo claymations chess. are full. What's it called? Hollow chess, right? Hollow chess, yeah. Yeah, those little claymation chess pieces are colorful and different and interesting. And so he's telegraphing to us that this galactic empire is seeking to strip us of all of this color, everything that makes us us, you know, yes. and, and they're trying to make us them. When they bring in Chewie to the detention cell and, and, and the, the, the fucking snooty guard says, what are you, what are you doing with this thing? Like he yeah. knows what he, he knows that's a Wookiee. They he built knows, the fucking Death Star. They have a whole planet. They've got a whole planet. They have a whole planet. No, it's, it's very Kashyyyk. <laughs> well done, you. Yeah. No. And don't forget, people in the Empire hate sand because it's rough and it's coarse and it gets everywhere. You are four episodes ahead. Again, we'll get there. I hate that dialogue so much. <laughs> it's so painful but yeah the use of color really really moved me the two sons the two sons of Tatooine how they're different colors beautiful that's that silhouette shot oh that's fucking iconic man with that that shot alone is iconic with with the desert I, I I remember 
the the red tie fighter in his scope that he's looking into in his uh target scope when when they're escaping the death star on the falcon when they're escaping the death star like yeah yeah and i was just like look at that bad guy red like he really makes it really really clear it, it's and he admitted to this later he's like they're children's movies like yeah. we take them very seriously and and they reach us and they connect with us but they are children's movies they're for kids man they're it's for very, kids it's very cool. I just did not realize how deliberate it was that it was oh. so color schemed within an inch of its life. Stunning, man. The production design on this film, the great sketches from Ralph McQuarrie setting it all up. It's so good. Gorgeous. That's a that's a great ephemeral answer for you. Why? Thank you. What yeah. did not work about this movie for you? Well, what didn't work for me is Princess Leia. And why didn't Princess Leia work for me? Because she's the only woman in the galaxy. She is the only woman in the galaxy. Where are the women at? Well, there's What's Aunt Beru, on? but she's dead. Sure, right? Forgot about Beru because she's just charred remains. But, you know, so, okay, so we do have a strong female character, right? So we can't complain about that. We have to acknowledge that. We do have a leader, She's royalty, but she's also, like, military. She's right? a badass. I forgot about that scene where she gets them in the trash compactor. She's like, we're going to die if I don't take this blaster. Like, yeah, get in there, you know? Um, but but I, I would love to see, like, another woman somewhere after the first half an hour. Yeah. So that doesn't work for me. Yeah, there is a shocking lack of a feminine presence. Absolutely. And, you know... It's unfortunate that when we, when we get later on in, into the, the saga, when we actually add like more women, you know, the Star Wars fans, air quotes, complain about that too. But like, we should have, we should have had more women and that does not work for me. What doesn't work for you? You know what doesn't work for me? The silence in the medal ceremony. The silence in the medal ceremony? Yeah, why aren't they talking? It's awkward. No one says anything. No one says anything. Why, why am I just... Like, we end with a music video. We end with a music video and Leia making some awk faces. There's some flirting. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Yeah. When R2-D2 yeah. comes out, there's flirting. It's just... Like it, flirts with R2-D2. It's just the last third of the movie has relied so heavily on the banter and the chemistry that we've created and then it gets removed for a final sequence that's a little bit too long to be that silent. It is a little bit too long, but the music there is is inspiring. The music's great, but Leia would say some sort of commendation to these people. Yeah. Wouldn't she? She I mean, you would you would think, I think it's it's just it's it's montage-y. It's like an ending montage. Yeah. Right? Without multiple scenes. We're just gonna play the music do the ceremony because maybe that's not what the most important thing to take away is. Like maybe it's just the, the bow, the icing. I guess it just strikes me as a little bit too long for an epilogue for me. If they're good, if there's going to be no dialogue between them and they're just being quiet for so long, I can understand. And here's the thing I can get behind Luke and Han being quiet in the presence of their queen, but she princess princess, but she doesn't, say anything 
No. She, she does a whole actual silent ceremony, kind of winks, kind of gives you a little deep shoulder action. And then they turn around. And how do they know to turn around and address the crowd? Nobody says anything. They get Nobody no cue. Did, did they rehearse? Yeah. They turn around. And then the only person that says something is Chewy. It's weird. Sure. Yeah. It's weird. No, it's not. It's not the. It's not. It's not a scene. No. It's a, it's a it's a music video to end the movie that that gives us our final pose, which becomes landmark, right? And then it goes into the the, the music swells into the if that doesn't fill your spirit, you're dead inside though, right? That moment where it just kind of spent like 15 minutes complaining about it. No, 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 but it's the switch to the credits. The switch to the credits. Oh, so we're now we're off. We're off. What doesn't work, and now we're talking about the good things again. No, no. I was just really, really just wanted to highlight that moment because I do love that moment. But I do stand by my decision and my opinion that that sequence is too long. You know what opinions are like? What? Are you going to text it? Dianogas. <laughs> everybody's got one i guess so everyone has trash so cj does this film make your desert island top five yes (laughs) andrew i fucking would wake up in the morning or the night before and look in the tv guide okay Mm -hmm. i think i said this before maybe maybe but look at the tv guide and see star wars on television tomorrow because if it is, I'm sick. I'm staying ah. home from school. And I would tell my mom, Mom, Star Wars is on. And she'd be like, oh, I guess you're not going to school. And then one day, my sister decided that she was pissed that, that I was always able to like stay home. This woman was 10 years older than me, okay? 10 years. And she complained. And she said, he can't stay home from school. Now, she was probably, she became a teacher eventually. So she was probably just wanting me to get an education. Probably. So there was one night where she finished her volcano project for science class, okay? She spent days single hole punching colored construction paper. Yikes. She had a fucking Hellman's Hellman's mayonnaise jar full of these little dots that were going to blow up out of her volcano, okay? So we had shepherd's pie for dinner. Do you know what shepherd's pie is? Yes, it's like mashed potatoes and beef and shit. I love it. And it ended up on the top of the garbage, right? With all the mashed potatoes and the beef. I look in the TV guide and I see, sis, Star Wars is on tomorrow. I'm staying home from school. Wake up. I tell my mom I'm sick. She says, I know that Star Wars is on and that's why you want to stay home from school. And I got so mad at my sister, Andrew, that I grabbed that Hellman's jar full of her little dots that she had been working on for her science project. And I threw them in the garbage onto the mashed potatoes. So there was no saving them. If I am willing to take that chance of pissing my sister off that much, I have to see this movie every day for the rest of my life. CJ, bravo. I am this close to being rendered speechless by that story. That is fantastic. Does this make your Desert Island top five, Andrew? CJ, it does not. CJ, it doesn't. It doesn't. I love it and I appreciate it. But honestly, 
It's a little too slow for my Desert Island top five. Wow. So there's there's a pacing issue for you. There's a pacing issue for me. It's 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 not strong enough to make the to be the thesis of my what didn't work segment, but it is strong enough to pull it out of its desert island status. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Now there is a Star Wars movie that is on my desert island top five, but you're not Ooh, gonna really? like the answer. I know what it is. Yeah. I'm I'm tendering my resignation to Icon or Wycon. Oh no! Over that? Well, it's six Over episodes that. away, so at least we'll still get some good quality time in before you go. Absolutely. CJ, Absolutely. what is your special award? My special award goes to Star Wars for being so important to a generation that I was willing to risk life and limb to watch it for the 57th time. I call it the Mashed Potato Award. That is beautiful. My sister came after me with blood in her eyes because I basically ruined her life. You know, she was, however old she was, she spent weeks working on this fucking volcano. And I was willing to destroy it to watch Star Wars. How old are you? Seven. Yeah, still fucked up that you did that though. Yeah. yeah. No, that was bad. Yeah, that's terrible. That was bad, but it was it was it was fucking worth it, man. Listen, in the in the moment it felt right. It felt so right. Uh what is your special award? My special award is the Tarantino Award. Oh. Yeah, giving us remix filmmaking before remix filmmaking was called remix filmmaking. It is just one long remix. Oh my god. I mean, let's so just go down the list real quick. Let's just go down the list. So you got so first of all, he wanted to make a Flash Gordon adaptation and couldn't secure the rights yep. to it. And so right. he already had that itch for a space opera with a hero. Yeah. And so he's like, well, fuck it, I'll write my own, right? Yeah, space well, got, opera fantasy, not... It's not a sci-fi movie. Right. They're not sci-fi movies at all. No, fantasy. Yep. Fantasy, fantasy, fantasy. So get this. We got, just off the cuff, Flash no. Gordon, Kurosawa's yep. Hidden Fortress... Buck Rogers. The Searchers. 2187. Errol Flynn's Robin Hood. His own THX 138. Lawrence of Arabia for the Desert Sequences. Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, yeah, man. Nice. Uh, All the World War II pilot movies. Absolutely. Uh, Casablanca is most likely Cantina. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sure, 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 sure. Metropolis is where C-3PO's design comes from. Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, like he had a lot in there that we had already seen before and he was able to take it, utilize it, and make his own unique story and vision out of images that were familiar to us. And it's just, it's, yeah. he gave us the comfort of something we're familiar with and the excitement of something yeah. that's new. And I think that's amazing. Yeah. It's why movies like Kill Bill were successful. Kill Bill is four right. hours of quotes. But it's a great right. movie in and of itself. He gets the Tarantino Award. He even hat tipped Space 2001: A Space Odyssey, which was made like a minute before. A minute long, before, with the long space shot right, right at the beginning, with the Star Destroyer. Right at the beginning. No, this was a filmmaker that knew how to do the thing and had an exciting point of view, and it, 
he was a true visionary. A true visionary is who made Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, the oft-retitled original Star Wars film. Yeah, he sure did, and and he changed my life. Likewise, yeah. I'm going to throw you a curveball and introduce a new section that is just specific for this series. Are you I ready? I have no idea. I have no idea what's coming. Everybody. I know, but you'll you'll be able to answer it. Okay. Future plot hole that bothered you. Future plot hole that bothered me from Star Wars. A, a plot hole that was created. Yes. Something that will not be able to be paid off later. Why doesn't fucking Darth Vader realize that his daughter is standing in front of him? That's a good one. That's a good he one. Most, he is the most powerful Jedi. He's the chosen one. He's Anakin fucking Skywalker, and he can't sense his own blood right in the first 10 minutes of the movie? Yep. No. Completely accurate. Doesn't make a damn bit of sense. Does Come not on. make a damn bit of sense. And he even probes her, man. He fucking probes her. Yeah. Like, he's inside her head, and he, he doesn't... No. Bad. It's Thumb bad. Down. It's bad. How about you? How is it Give possible? How is it possible that Obi Wan does not recognize C three PO and R two D two? He spent a lot of fucking time. He spent a lot of time with them, and he's going to be like, "Don't recall ever owning a droid? You Don't didn't. Your Padawan built them, asshole." Like, yep. Now is he? Is he just? God, I'm like a forever apologist over here. Yeah, no, we like like gaslighting Luke. CJ, no, because the gaslighting no. is I can accept the gaslighting answer in the form <laughs> of Darth Vader killed your father, because then it's like, oh, what a twist. Darth Vader is your father. I get it. And I get that they both come from the same, the story treatment wasn't there yet. And then when right. it got there, they knew they could make it work. Yeah. I'm looking at, I'm looking all the way to Phantom Menace when he decides that he can get C-3PO and R2-D2 in the story. Because yeah. as you said, he does start off Star Wars really firmly establishing that there are MacGuffin, really. The peasants are a MacGuffin. And he does right. commit to that. He commits to that in a very beautiful way. And he decides to commit to it for the prequel trilogy in a way that completely creates a bizarre yeah. plot hole and it's that first plot hole. That's our first window yeah. of a plot hole that he creates that he does more and more with every subsequent movie. And that one plot hole that he created is what gave the filmmakers of 789 permission to completely abandon reason for that level of storytelling. True. And that's all I'm going to say about that because we will break all of that down later. But when I saw that, I was like, Listen, because you gave yourself permission to completely say fuck all to that line of exposition, which is yeah. sandwiched by so much other relevant exposition, it's real hard for me to miss Vanjie that one little part away and really yep. accept everything else of what he said, you know? Yep. His choice he, to do that he, gave every future filmmaker permission to do that. And I'm and upset he about it. could have cut it out in the 17 times that he went back. Yeah. It's one line. Yeah. It's one line. Could have just got should could have just skipped right past it. Absolutely. Just didn't. Just didn't. Damn. Damn. But what? Yeah, that's where we're on at. my desert island top five. It's not on yours. 
uh, is this an iconic film? Wow. I mean, like, getting a little aggressive. I feel like I've never been asked that before. You have. Um, <laughs> it is. It is. It, Hands down. It is. What kind of asshole would say it's not? The fuck? I know. I know. It's like people that don't like sports. The hell's the matter with them? Listen, not everything reaches across the void to people, CJ. Sports never reached me. But Star Wars reaches across the void, I think, to most of the pops. You don't even have to be a Star Wars fan. I I would love if there was a way to see the ticket sales of this sequel trilogy and see how many people went that were actually hardcore Star Wars fans. I bet there were more people that just really wanted to see where the saga went because we've grown up with it. In my own lifetime, I have seen the re-release of the original trilogy the initial release of the prequel trilogy and the initial release of the sequel trilogy. These movies are the fabric of our existence. Like we're connected to these characters. We know the Skywalker saga. That's why we have so much baggage and feelings about it. Yeah, no question. No question. It, it reaches across all the holes and all the voids and it's, it's pop culture. It's, it's, um, it's cancel culture with the damn fans and their stupidity, pardon me. Uh, I should say their un- unreasonableness. Um, it's it's even it's even um, uh, cult culture, you know. It's 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 like all the cultures. It it, it it's the coolest kid at school. It, it it hangs out with everybody. Yeah, and it gives you things that are quite beautiful and things you can hold on to. I think this first one specifically has a lot of great lesson work about identity and about mm-hmm. how you know if you have that fire in you to be something bigger than where you're at. Like it's always in you. And then if you can see the opportunity and go for it, I love that Luke just charges forward. He says, yes, yeah. constantly says, yes. Uh, he says, yes. Once he gets propelled. Once, once he gets propelled, he has to be propelled. Or burnt to a crisp. But yes, I totally agree. But listen, Leia hides, Leia hides data in a droid and lies to the face of the most powerful man in the universe. Yep. You know? Han, when they're backed into a corner, Han charges at the stormtroopers with Chewie. Yeah. He just goes. He's like, I'll meet you back at the hangar. It's very inspiring. Absolutely. These These are are people, they're heroes. They're real heroes. Yeah, and you can really get behind them. And it's so unique and so special about this movie. I was so happy to rewatch it. I And you know, when you go into it knowing you're going to like it, I did this with all the Kevin Smith movies. I I know I like them. We're only really talking about movies we like. Let's be real about this. It's a wholly biased moment. (laughs) I knew I was going to like it, but I was, I, when I took my digesting a film person hat off, I was really allowed to surrender to how simple and beautiful and fun and inspiring. I don't know. I really liked it. I really like what George Lucas did. I think it's pretty ballsy what he created and what it turned into is amazing. And that's all I have to say about that. No question. You've said enough. And I am looking forward to getting further into the Skywalker saga. We've, we've just, we've just had the prologue, man. Now, like the real, the real story is about to be unfolded and I'm so stoked to watch the Empire Strikes Back for probably the 117th time. Empire's the best one of the original trilogy. Absolutely. But it's, we'll it, get to that. We will. We will get to that. Uh, for Icon or Ycon, I'm CJ LaRoche. And I'm Andrew David Sotomayor.
And we'll see you next time. Next time. <laughs> <laughs>